As he neared the end of his life, there was only one thing that kept William Carey, the father of modern missions, up at night. And it wasn't the future of his incredible ministry in India. He didn't seem to be really all that concerned about what would happen to the 700 Indians who had come to faith in Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. He didn't seem to be all too stressed about the future of his six Bible translations or the many different churches that he planted. No, as he came to the end of his life, this great missionary was worried about only one thing. Cows. Yes, cows. You see, uh, his young missionary colleague, Dr. Joshua Marshman, had some cows. And as... uh, Doctor, as William Carey was coming to the end of his life, Dr. Marshman and some other guests went to visit him. And while they were there visiting him, Carey, the old missionary, was clearly very distressed. And when they asked him what was wrong, he poured out his heart and he cried out. He said, after I'm gone, Brother Marshman's going to let his cows loose in my garden. William Carey. His greatest fear at the end of his life was not that wolves were going to destroy the church, but that cows were going to destroy his garden. A lot of people know that William Carey was a great missionary, but very few people know that he was also a great gardener. Carey loved to garden in his spare time, and at his death, he left behind a beautiful garden in India with close to 2,000 different plants. Carey spent most of his life caring for the church in India and in his free time caring for his garden. And so I have no doubt that as he read and translated this text in from Hebrew to Hindi, that he would have greatly appreciated this imagery that the prophet Isaiah uses here in chapter 27, because in this text, Isaiah compares God to a gardener and God's people to a garden. But it, more than that, really, this is this is a prophetic comparison. That means it looks ahead from Isaiah's day and age to the future. So Isaiah here not only tells us about what God the gardener and his garden are like, but he also tells us about the fate of the gardener and his garden. And the way Isaiah makes this comparison is it's a bit unusual. It's it's creative, really. This isn't a prophetic speech. It's not a prophetic sermon. It's a prophetic song. Look with me beginning in verse 2. In that day, he begins. This is a favorite phrase of the prophet Isaiah. This phrase is used 66 times in the Old Testament. And 42 of those times are used by Isaiah. Here he uses this phrase to point ahead to the future. To a time that is coming when God's people will be like a pleasant vineyard or a fruitful vineyard, as some versions put it. Isaiah doesn't use this imagery by accident. All throughout Old Testament history, a fruitful vineyard was seen as a symbol of God's blessing. Unlike a vegetable or flower garden, a vineyard took a lot of time and a lot of energy to grow. The gardener or vine dresser had to carefully prune and train the vines along trellises for years before there would be substantial fruit. And 
There's always the danger of too little or too much rain, and not to mention the, the threat from thieves or from animals breaking in and ruining the vineyard. And so a, a fruitful vineyard was an incredibly valuable piece of property back then, as it still is to this day. So usually only the wealthy could afford them. And they would go to great lengths to protect their vineyards. They would build stone walls and enclosures to protect the vineyard. They would build watchtowers and hire guards to keep an eye out. And so Isaiah uses this imagery intentionally that would have been very familiar to the people of that time to help them understand the relationship between God and his people. To help them see, to open their eyes to the kind of care that God has for them. Because if God's people are the garden, then that makes God the gardener. And we see that in verse 3, where the song begins. This verse has a very deliberate structure. It begins and ends with a line about how the Lord is the keeper of his garden. And then in between, it tells us about how he keeps his garden. So the song begins, I, the Lord, am its keeper. How does he keep it? Every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. God is both the gardener and the security guard. He's always watching over his garden. He's always nourishing it and protecting it day and night. He never takes a break to check his phone and scroll through Instagram. He never clocks out. He never goes to sleep. He's always taking care of his garden. Every moment of every day, God is taking care of his people. There is no greater gardener than God. That means that today... The Lord is the keeper of his garden, the church. Like a good gardener, God is carefully cultivating and growing the church. Every day he meets its needs. He provides everything it needs to grow and bear fruit. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he is protecting his church from its enemies. So if by faith in Jesus, you are a member of his church, that means that the Lord is your keeper. William Carey took care of a garden of 2000 plants, but God takes care of over 2 billion people. The Lord is our keeper. He is always caring for our every need. He is always protecting you. He's always providing everything that you need to grow spiritually and bear much fruit in every circumstance of life. He's keeping you right now as you sit peacefully here this morning. And he'll be keeping you tonight at BFG when the kids are running around screaming and you want to pull your hair out. He's keeping you when you don't pass the test or when you don't get the promotion, when you don't make the team. He will be keeping you when your friends or your family desert you because you won't stop telling them about Jesus. He'll be keeping you when the unexpected expense comes up and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. He'll be keeping you when you go to the hospital to have that surgery and go under the knife. And he will be keeping you when you have to go to that funeral and say goodbye to the person you most love in this world. He is keeping you. Always. And when it's your turn 
to be laid in that casket, He will keep you for eternity. Because the Lord is the keeper of His people, and He keeps them night and day. God is the great gardener who is always taking care of His garden, the church. And you know how you can tell if you really believe that? To the degree that you believe that God is taking care of you will be the degree to which you pour yourself out to take care of others. Because if God is your keeper, if you, if you trust him that he is keeping you, then you are able to sacrifice yourself for others. If you don't, if you don't trust that God is caring for you, if you don't believe that he is really keeping you, then you will try to be your keeper. You will always be preoccupied with you and how you are doing. And if you are getting all your needs met. But if we really trust that God is taking care of us, then that gives us the freedom to pour ourselves out for the sake of others. Because God is our keeper. We don't have to be consumed by the question, how am I doing? We can be consumed by the question, how are others doing? How are they really doing? How are the folks in my BFG? How are they really doing? How's my family really doing? How are my coworkers or my classmates, my boss or my teachers or my employees? How are my neighbors? How are they really doing? When was the last time that you just stopped to ask somebody, not just how they're doing, but how are you really doing? When was the last time you just stopped to think about how others in your life all around you are really doing and how you can be a part of carrying some of their burdens? Or are there any joys that they're rejoicing in that you can share in that joy with them? Are there any practical ways that you can be serving and caring for them? Because God is our keeper. We don't have to be slaves to ourselves. We are free to give ourselves over to love and serve others. God constantly takes care of us because we are his garden and God is a great gardener. God is a great gardener because his care is great and because his grace is great. We see that as the song continues in verse 4. Look with me there. I have no wrath. If you and I had been alive in Isaiah's day, this one line would have been enough to take our breath away. It's an absolutely shocking statement. God declares that he is not angry with his garden, with his vineyard. The reason it's shocking is because this song is not exactly an original. It's the remix edition, if you will. Because there was a song before this about the vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5, right before Isaiah's famous vision where he sees the Lord in the temple and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Right before that vision, the Holy Spirit inspires Isaiah to sing a song about the Lord's vineyard. And in that song, it starts off very similarly. As we see here, he's singing about how God is the gardener who lovingly cares and protects his garden. He does everything you possibly could do to take care of his garden. But when it comes time for the harvest, all their fruit is rotten and disgusting. God was coming to look for righteousness and justice, but the fruit he saw was bloodshed and screaming. 
God asks, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? So in his just wrath, God tears down the walls protecting the garden. He commands the rain clouds far, far away. And he lets the briars and thorns take it over. God judges his people for their sin and what was supposed to be a pleasant vineyard becomes a hideous wasteland. If you want to see a picture of what it would really be like if you were your keeper, just read Isaiah chapter 5. And I can go ahead and tell you it ain't pretty. Because Isaiah 5 is a judgment song that vividly portrays how God judged his people Israel and gave them over to their enemies to be enslaved and exiled because of their sin and unfaithfulness. And for the next 22 chapters of Isaiah, there's not a single word about a vineyard until this chapter right here. For the people living in Isaiah's day who were suffering under God's judgment, this song would have been an incredible source of hope. Their eyes would have filled with tears as they looked forward to the day when they could sing that God had no more wrath for them. They longed to see the day when God's enemies would be no more. As the rest of this verse says, would that I had thorns or briars to battle. Or it could say, if I only had some thorns or briars to battle. Because this song looks ahead to the future when God's enemies are no more. God speaks hypothetically about he would do if he had any enemies left. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. The thorns and the briars, or we might say the thorns and the thistles, they represent God's enemies. And just like weeds in a garden, God's enemies are a threat to overtake God's garden. God's enemies would love nothing more than to overtake the garden and to stop its growth. Whether it's grown men kidnapping missionaries in Haiti. Or whether it's teenage girls peer pressuring their friend to stop talking about her faith. The thorns and thistles come in many different forms. But God won't stand for it. God is so serious about protecting his garden that God declares war against the weeds. And God the gardener becomes God the general. Did you notice how the imagery changes here? That the garden plot turns into a battlefield. A fiery judgment of smoke and torment awaits his enemies. Unless, verse 5, or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. God allows them to surrender. Now it's important to note here that God's not offering them a truce. God's not saying, I'll give up if you give up. No, God's allowing them to make peace with him. And he repeats this, this phrase at the end of the song to emphasize his grace. Remember back then they didn't have bold font. They didn't have all caps. They didn't have emojis or gifs or anything like that. So when they wanted to make a point, they would repeat it. 
And so God ends his vineyard song by emphasizing his great grace. He's allowing the thorns and thistles to come inside the protection of the vineyard walls. But this is not just a song to sing in the future about what God would do if he had enemies left. It's just as much a song about what God has done and what God is doing for his enemies right now. Because we don't come into this world naturally producing sweet, righteous fruit for God. It's not just because of the fall of Adam that the ground produces thorns and thistles, but our hearts produce thorns and thistles as well. And so by nature, we are not the pleasant vineyard. By nature, we are the thorns. And God's wrath is coming for the thorns and thistles. If you are among God's enemies, make no mistake about it. God will burn you up in hell forever and ever. Or. Or. That's a life changing word. That's an important word, isn't it? Or you can surrender and cling to God's grace for protection. God will let you make peace with him, but only on his terms. And his terms are repent and believe in the gospel. The good news is that you do not have to make peace with God. Because God so loved you that he sent his one and only son to live the sinless life that you were supposed to live. And he died the sinner's death that you were supposed to die. And by the blood of his cross, he has made peace with God on your behalf. As the vine clings to the trellis, if you by faith will cling to the cross, then you will be saved from the wrath of God. Because God is a great and gracious gardener, you and I are welcomed into his garden by faith. And just as Jesus rose again to new life on the third day, we will have eternal life with him forever. And one way that we demonstrate that we really believe that God is a great and gracious gardener is by going to the thorns and thistles and offering peace with God to them. If we really believe that God is gracious, that his grace is amazing, then we won't just sing about it on Sunday mornings, but we will go Monday at lunch break and talk about his amazing grace with our lost coworkers or with our classmates after class. We will teach God's great grace to our children and to our children's children. We will share his great grace with others and we will show his great grace to others. Those who receive God's gracious care will graciously care for others. So we show grace to the coworker who keeps dropping the ball and you've got to pick up the slack to make sure the deadline's met. We show grace when the waiter messes up the order again. We don't leave a crummy tip, but we show them grace. We show grace when the roommate leaves the sink full of dirty dishes and 
We grab the sponge and the soap and we show grace. We show grace when we're on the way home on Tate's Creek and the speed limit's 55, but the person in front of us is doing 35 and this has never happened to me before. And we don't tailgate them, but we show them grace. We show great grace because we have received great grace in Christ. Isaiah's song opens our eyes to see God as a great and gracious gardener. And in verse 6, he lifts up our eyes to see that the fields are white for the harvest and to see the fate of God's garden. Verse 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. As a result of God's great and gracious care, God's garden will grow until it takes over the world. God will get what he wanted from the start of creation when he commanded his first people, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What started in a small garden called Eden will end in a global garden called the new earth. Isaiah, this prophetic word from Isaiah that he gives us is being fulfilled right now in our day and age through the new Israel, the true Israel, the church. God's garden that started with a few people in Jerusalem. God has been carefully and patiently growing that garden for the past 2000 years until to now when it's becoming a global garden with billions of people. But God's not done yet. There's still patches of earth here and there where the vine has room to grow. God is not going to stop until he fills it all in. Until the whole world is filled with fruit. That's why we don't stop by just telling people in Madison County about God's grace. That's why we go on to New Orleans and to Peru and to the ends of the earth. Because we really believe that God is going to fill the whole world with fruit. That's why we go to the ends of the earth to make disciples and plant churches. What an appropriate term, right? Every place, every people group will bear fruit For God's glory. Because we really believe that God is our keeper and that he is caring for us. We can sacrifice our desires, our wants and our needs so that we can go and care for church planters and church plants in New Orleans or in Peru. Because we really believe that God has given us great grace in Christ. We can sacrifice some vacation time. We can go to hard places in Peru and to the ends of the earth to show and share about that great grace. Because we believe that God is a great and gracious gardener whose garden will take over the world. We will pray and we will give and we will go until the whole earth is filled with fruit. But none of this is possible without the gardener and his garden. Or we could say, without the vine dresser and his vine. Because, you see, there really aren't billions of different plants 
in God's garden. This isn't a vegetable garden. It's not a flower garden. It's a vineyard. And there's only one plant in the vineyard. A vine. In John 15, Jesus picks up on this imagery from the prophet Isaiah and says these words. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The beautiful, extraordinary, glorious reality about this vineyard song in Isaiah 27 is that it is about Christ. About God's people in Christ. God the Father is the vine dresser. God the Son is the vine. And we who have trusted in Christ, we are the branches. That means Jesus is the fruitful vine that we will be singing about in that eternal day. That means every moment of every night and day, God the Father cares for His Son, Jesus. He has no wrath for Jesus. He will burn or graciously make peace with all of Jesus' enemies until the day when he fills the whole earth with the glory of Jesus. That's why it's so essential that by faith we abide in Jesus. God the gardener welcomes the thorns and thistles into his garden by faith, but he doesn't have a garden full of thorns and thistles. How? Because by faith in Jesus, we are grafted into the vine. We are connected to Jesus. So now we are branches of the true vine. Now, as branches of the vine, we are cared for night and day. Now, as branches on the vine of Jesus, we are no longer under God's wrath. Now, as branches on the vine of Jesus, we are protected from all our enemies. Now, as branches on the vine of Jesus, we bear much fruit. That's how God is filling the whole world with fruit through Jesus. God is going to take over the whole world through the vine that is Christ. This is the faith of the vine dresser and the vine. Global glory. Eternal global glory. Because you see, if you travel to India today, you won't be able to find William Carey's garden. Even though his missionary colleague, Dr. Marshman, swore to protect it as a sacred duty, and he did so for the next 40 years out of his own pocket, Eventually, the property was sold. So if you went to India today, you wouldn't find Carrie's garden. But you would find something far, far more beautiful. You would find a spiritual garden 
of thousands of churches and tens of thousands of Christians who can trace their spiritual lineage all the way back to William Carey, the missionary gardener. Carey was nothing more than one branch on the vine of Christ. I'll be at one fruitful branch on the vine of Christ. But by God's grace, we too can by faith abide in the vine, Christ, and bear much fruit here in Madison County and to the ends of the earth. Until that day when the vine of Jesus becomes a global garden that fills the whole earth with fruit for his glory.